This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. back. Coming up on this week's show, news about the next MLS TV rights deal. Fubo TV marks a huge development for soccer streaming services. FIFA planning major club tournament in the USA. What the Univision Televisa merger means for soccer fans. First impressions of NWSL's 2021 coverage. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, we're going to jump right in. Did you catch any of the uh, post-match UEFA Champions League, either on on Tuesday or Wednesday? Uh, No, I did not. So you're missing a lot. I, I mean, for me, it's one of those things that I think for most people... I mean, to me, the, the sign of a good post-match show is uh, as soon as the game's over, do you stick with it? Um, you mean, in, in back in the day, back in the early days of NBC's uh, coverage of the Premier League, I would hold on until until the broadcast ended, even if it was like an hour after the post uh, the game had uh, finished, just to see what they would say and, and hear the interesting analysis and discussion. Uh, Tuesday, I thought it was a little bit uneventful. But Wednesday, I thought was really good. I think they had some really good uh, post-match. They had a debate. Uh, it was a little bit of a, t- of a talk fest, like talking over each other. But they had a debate, and it was a great question. And uh, Kate Abdo said, hey, if I'm Erling Haaland, uh, which club should I join this summer? Should I go to Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, Manchester City, uh, Liverpool, or Manchester United? And what they did was that uh, each of the studio analysts uh, took a team. So Peter Schmeichel gave the case for Manchester United. Uh, uh, Michael Richards said, OK, Man City, here's why uh, Haaland should should consider a move to um, the Etihad. And then Jamie Carragher for Liverpool. And then he had uh, Nico Cantor um, representing Real Madrid and, and Barcelona. Kartik, if you're Erling Haaland... What do you do? Do you stay with Dortmund or uh, do you go? And if you do go, where do you go? I would uh, look. Uh, his father's history may complicate this, obviously, with Roy Keane. But I would go to Manchester United. And if I'm not able to move to Manchester United, I stay another year at Dortmund. Interesting. 
Interesting. And, and, and that's actually, I mean, a good example. I mean, now, now opinions wise, I mean, listeners, you guys might disagree with Kartik. You might agree with him. But, but to me, that's a good sign of good television. It's a good piece. It's, it's a, a good 10, 15 minutes of thoughtful post-match analysis. I mean, you've, you've talked about the game. You've shown the highlights. You know who's in the, the, the semifinals now, the UEFA Champions League. But uh, what more can they talk about to hold the viewer's attention and to hear the different opinions about where Haaland should go or, should, or if he should stay? And uh, for the most part, I mean, UEFA Champions League, I think this week was a good example of CBS Sports um, improving, making improvements from what they did uh, last week. And last week was great. We talked about the Jamie Carragher show. Uh, this year, Jamie was uh, this week. Jamie wasn't <clears throat> as uh, center profile as much, which is which is good, which is fine. And uh, Mark Clattenburg, they added on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday post match to get his thoughts. And from both of those games, both on Tuesday and Wednesday, there were, I mean, analysis. There was uh, much needed. There were uh, things that happened in those games where you needed an expert uh, former referee. Actually, I think he's head of refereeing in Greece right now, the country. But you need that analysis to, to get an opinion, an actual really good opinion. So so overall, from what I saw, I was impressed. And uh, they're making improvements. They added uh, Jens Lehmann as a uh, an analyst. Um, now the German teams are out of the, the Champions League. But still, Jens Lehmann... Um, uh, spoke English very well, had some good analysis, some good insight, and um, things are looking up. I, I think to me, it, it's very positive, uh, the moves that CBS are making. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, Jens Lehmann's expertise is limited to German clubs. He played for Arsenal, and it's English pundits who tend to, to, to focus on English clubs exclusively. I, I think if you get a German or Dutch pundit, they can talk about any strong continental team. That tends to be the case a lot of times with Italian and Spanish pundits, too. So I, I'm not into looking at the nationality and saying, oh, well, the German clubs are out, so he's not a useful pundit. That That's, uh, that's an English thing because the we talked about with Carragher and we talked about with other English pundits. They tend to uh, obsess over the Premier League and, and look down upon other leagues. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and you got a little bit of that on Wednesday post-match where you didn't really have too much uh, analysis or insight into Real Madrid. I mean, Real Madrid is, is looking like um, this is their trophy to win. I mean, they've definitely got a good strong chance and uh, seemed pretty comfortable over the two legs against Liverpool. But uh, because you have the the studio analysts, I mean Peter Schmeichel, Jimmy Carragher, Micah Richards, uh, who are former Premier League pl- players, it is very uh, Premier League centric. But maybe they think that maybe the Real Madrid analysis would be uh, more so that viewership is going to be watching in Univision or Tuduene or Unamas uh, for that type of analysis. So while the Champions League, to me, the coverage was good. Um, we're going to bounce around a little bit here. I watched El Clasico last weekend, which I thought was a really good game, um, enjoyable. I had the um, had the weather conditions. I mean, r- r- huge amounts of rain on this on this uh, pitch, and uh, it was a good game up until like the last kick of the game. It could have easily been uh, Barcelona getting that uh, equalizer. A big match, big ramifications. But the one thing for me that uh, I take away from this is it was probably. The most um, underwhelming be in sports production of El Clasico. 
Uh, not that there's anything wrong with you know, Thomas Rongen and Eric Krakauer and some of the other uh, analysts that they had on staff, but it wasn't. They weren't pulling out all the bells and whistles. This was very much a a low cost production without any of the. I mean, really, without any pizzazz, really, uh, on the English language side. The Spanish language side, I didn't watch um, the coverage of there to see how that differed. But this is really, I wouldn't say that being sports is phoning it in, but they definitely don't have much of a budget, it seems, um, in producing, not just producing, but also the talent. They're not bringing in the big guns for these types of, um, I mean, the biggest game of the season for them. What, Kartik, what about you? Like uh, NWSL this past weekend, what was your thoughts on um, the coverage that you saw? Yeah, I, I was uh, I was pleased with the coverage on CBS. I mean, I think, uh, unfortunately, the Chicago-Houston match didn't end up being as open as, and entertaining as we had hoped. I mean, part of the problem was that uh, you had these international friendlies going on the same weekend, right? Sweden, USA, and, and uh, France, USA. You had a lot of players... Of the, a lot of the top players in NWSL who weren't uh, there for, for for these opening round of matches, but then uh, the Portland match after on uh, Paramount Plus was 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 quite good, and uh, their coverage has continued to be good. I mean, there's a there's an Orlando game uh, tonight. Uh, the Orlando uh, race, Russing Louisville match was phenomenal, right? Um, and the atmosphere, and uh, we have another match on CBS Sports Network. Uh, tonight uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, so I'm uh, pleased with the NWSL output from CBS. The kind of coverage the league is getting, they're they're um, they they are really committed to it, and they're also very aggressive about promoting it uh, on Paramount Plus, which uh, which I like. So good first weekend. Uh, it was great to hear JP Del Camera call call a match. Right? We don't we don't hear JP. I realized this on Friday night, Chris. We don't hear JP as much as we used to. It, it, it's, it seems like now more of an occasion when he calls a match. Mm-hmm. We were used to hearing him every week back in the day, uh, whether it was uh, uh, whether it was ESPN, MLS, or, or it was uh, Fox after that, or, or, or whatever, uh, or even uh, uh, international matches. Right? Uh, we, we don't hear him as much anymore. So yeah. I, I actually, uh, it, it, it maybe maybe that makes the occasion feel bigger when he calls it. But it did feel like a big match. The opening. Match, the Houston uh, Chicago match on uh, Friday night. Yeah, whenever I hear JP Delacamera's voice, it's instant credibility. I mean, I when I hear his voice, which isn't that often, but when I hear his voice, I I get I lean in uh, to the TV set. I, I want to, you mean, uh, submerge myself in that game more intently, more closely um, than if it was just a you mean a generic announcer that I had no. You mean, uh, no, you mean n- n- nothing, nothing to do with basically, or, or kind of no, no attachment. You mean with JP, this history, um, there's, you mean, really, yeah, he's come through the entire uh, success of the U.S. women's national team, uh, and of course, World Cups and other things too. But to me, um, just a, a perfect voice for uh, as an American commentator. Now, so we've talked about VAR. Well, actually, we haven't talked about VAR yet. Well, VAR, Kartik, I don't know if you saw this on this past weekend, but in the Premier League, I'm not sure what else we can say at this at this moment. I mean, there were just some horrible decisions. And it. I think it's gotten to the point, if it hadn't before, it has now, where it, it is killing the game. It is definitely turning off fans. It's getting people upset. It's not free-flowing. Uh, the decisions seem to be just ridiculous, some of these decisions. 
Uh, part of it, part of it's not VAR's fault. Part of it is just the rules of the game have not uh, kept up with VAR, and and VAR is being used, especially in the Premier League, to microanalyze uh, calls, and sometimes it's the wrong decision, which is more infuriating. It's, it's bad enough that there's, there's long delays and there's all this, you mean, lack of passion. I mean, imagine if there were fans in the stadiums. So that, that, that's the thing we're missing, really, with this with the VAR is we haven't had massive stadium, you know, full capacities of fans and these ridiculous VAR calls. I mean, it, basically, we had VAR, what, in the last World Cup, and it went pretty well. There were some mistakes that happened, definitely, but there weren't any major, major VAR incidents where it was really controversial. With the Premier League, it seems to be almost every weekend. And, and sometimes, as this past weekend, we had the Man City-Leeds game, where there was the uh, the foul, I think it was on Raheem Sterling, and that decision, which watching it in slow motion, it, to me, it looked worse than what it was. I mean, to me, it's a defender going for the ball, and his foot is raised, but he's going for the ball, and then which was which was the correct decision based on the laws of the game, but I think VAR makes it w- look a lot worse. And then less than an hour later, I think it was the Liverpool Aston Villa game. Where there was a goal that should have been uh, should have been allowed, it was d- disallowed. Uh, I think uh, Roberto Firmino scored it, and it just was called back. It took a while, and it still seemed like the wrong decision. But Kartik, um is there any hope out there? C- can the Bundesliga take their staff and move over to London and, and uh, or any league? Any league? Look, I mean, again, I mean, Premier, there are a lot of people who only watch the Premier League, and they base their opinions of football as a whole on the Premier League. And uh, I know the 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 the, the sun sets, uh, rises and sets with the Premier League, and the teams in the Bundesliga and Serie A, they'd all get relegated in the Premier League, according to some <laughs> of these people. But um, no, no one, no other league has this problem. Okay, MLS. Well, uh, we we bash MLS a lot on this show. We they they they've, they've done a great job. Of implementing it, there are controversial decisions everywhere. I'm not happy with Champions League. I think uh, Dortmund really got uh, 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 got jobbed, if for lack of a better term, in both legs. Right, the the, uh, the Bellingham situation in the first leg wasn't reviewable, but that should have been a goal, and Ed- Ederson should have had a yellow card, um, and not Bellingham. And then obviously in the second leg, I, I do not. Uh, I mean, I guess I should reread the rule, but I, I think that that was really harsh on Sean. It's, uh, the, it's harsh, the but I, I think it was. I mean, I, I think it was just. I mean, to me, it should have been a penalty with a, 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 a Emery Chan on that one. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can argue it. I mean, but I guess at least they had a process to look at it, and they determined they didn't want to overturn it. They didn't have a process for the Bellingham uh, challenge, which, by the way, I think the tie is completely different. Uh, the, the the next yeah. 135 minutes or whatever if that if if that call isn't very badly blown and I think there were a lot of calls that went against Dortmund over the two legs I mean they're already swimming upstream against a, a Manchester City team that's better but, than them and, but and the, got all these bad breaks but 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 the Bellingham mistake was a mistake by the referee and was Correct. not a, yes. not a VAR yes. uh, no problem. it wasn't a VAR error what I'm saying is I would like to see maybe VAR expanded to to uh, to include clear goal, goal scoring opportunities because we see this also with free kicks right outside the area where guys are pulled down and they can't review it so that i'm actually looking for an expansion of var because it's done well in other places uh in the premier well, league it's not done well um the premier league which has i and look as Stuart robson said it a year and a half ago on espn fc i thought maybe he was uh, exaggerating but he felt like uh, part of it was the premier league likes to draw attention to itself and uh they uh that they, they were deliberately uh, uh, not 
implementing VAR the way it had been implemented in leagues that went before them, right? There were kinks in uh, Germany. There were kinks in Italy. There were kinks in, in, in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, MLS actually had it implemented in USL first, so they started it at the lower division level, and, uh, and Howard Webb worked it into MLS. They haven't had all these problems. And they don't have the constant well, every week these sorts of problems. So it's a Premier League issue. It's not a VAR issue. And I'm not a fan of VAR actually. Uh, but I'm if you're going to use it, I don't. I know we're not going to turn it back now. I think maybe it should be expanded, as I said in the Dortmund Man City example. But I, it's a Premier League issue. It's not a VAR issue. It's not a football issue. It's not an issue with the sport. It's an issue with one specific league. So I disagree on the, with you on that, Kartik, because there there are instances, and I've seen this too, watching Major League Soccer games last last season where VAR doesn't interrupt the game as much. So they're checking behind the scenes, letting the game flow. Um, And there are incidents that happen where it's blatant fouls and the game continues. But for whatever reason, um, I mean, whether it's John Strong or whoever the commentator is, is is saying, well... Vars were looking at that, but obviously they must not have seen a, an issue with that. So, so the game continues, and, the, and the, yeah. there, there isn't that microscopic analysis. So, the, the Premier League's issue, I think, is just basically how the process that they have in place, and also which which is which is basically stop the game, analyze it, figure out what's wrong, which really kind of zeroes everybody in. Everyone's looking at it. TV viewers. You got managers on the sidelines with iPads. You got players looking at the big screen. <clears throat> I mean, everyone is upset by it. But then, so Serie A this past weekend, watching uh, Atalanta against uh, Fiorentina, the game on ABC, a joy to watch. Great game. But the way that the rules are interpreted in that league is they let things go. So, yeah. and this is not nothing to do with VAR, but there's a rough foul, a, a, a tough challenge, and the referee says, play on. I mean, I'm not calling that. Just And with the Premier League, it has gotten very, very... The referee's blowing his whistle all the times. Uh, VAR's looking at it. Everyone's getting upset at the decision, whether it's a good decision or not. Uh, and there are instances where VAR comes in and actually does rescue the referee and makes, makes the right call. But I think it's just the interpretation of how and the implementation of how how it's being used. And and yes, definitely the Premier League makes mistakes. Uh, but um, I think a lot of it is some of those mistakes are happening in other leagues too. But the, those leagues are choosing not to stop the game and analyze it. The Bundesliga fl- flows really smoothly too. I mean, the, the, I think it's only the Premier League that really is, is stop, 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 stop. So, so I, I get what you're saying, Chris, and you're right. In fact, more I think there are probably a higher percentage of calls because of the way the Premier League's implemented it that are technically correct in the Premier League than in Major League Soccer or in the Bundesliga or in the Eredivisie. But what do you want if you're complaining about constant stoppages? Don't you think MLS has it right? Only in the most egregious circumstances do they stop the game and stop the flow and overturn a call. Um, and in fact, yeah. I mean, I sat in a seminar with Howard Webb, so I know his, his thing and then got to do an interview with him afterwards. I, I know his thinking on this. He uh, he was very concerned about flow being interrupted. Uh, now, Mike Riley had a different interpretation in, in, in England, which was uh, get everything right or get as much right as you can get. So, um, well, my, you have to pick one or the other. Yeah. You can't have both. Well, well, my thing is, is get rid of VAR is keep uh, Golan technology. And maybe use VAR for extremely, extremely, extremely wrong calls. I mean, somebody handles a ball on the line um, and it's blatant to VAR, but, but everyone else misses it. The referee misses it. 
I mean, the other officials miss it, miss it. The only way to actually see that blatant handball is by using VAR. And, and in cases like that, extreme cases, otherwise get rid of it completely. Because it does interrupt the flow of the game. It does become just anal. It becomes really anal, especially with the Premier League games, when it, it is stop-start. And looking at it and getting out the the diagram to, I mean, the lines to figure out, okay, is this offside going down to, I mean, the shoulder and the bottom of, of the shirt sleeve and... Um, which makes you wonder if some of these clubs are going to start thinking about like maybe uh, either reducing the length of the sh- shirt sleeve or lengthening it a little bit just to give them an edge. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. To, me, to me, it was a really, really poor weekend for the Premier League in terms of just, uh, just, just so frustrating for the neutral. Yeah, I, I do think that the... Uh the thing about the Premier League's lines also, and it's, it's kind of funny because I think this year no club has had it worse than Liverpool. Last season, you would argue, in fact, there was a joke going around that like uh, VAR the first season all, uh, you know, I, I remember right. there was a gif. Yeah, yeah every li- call, Liverpool. You know, Liverpool gets every call, right? Right. Um, so these things, like I say about refer- officiating over the course of a 38-match season, these things even out. And I firmly believe that with VAR also. I guess in Liverpool's mm. case, it's over 76 matches. 38 matches last season where they got the rub with the green. Uh, green 38 matches this season where they're, where they're seemingly getting screwed. So I, I'm not that bothered by it. I am bothered by the lines because the lines are very subjective. So unless you can pinpoint the exact moment the ball was played, and that's tough even with freeze frames. Yep. Um, I think a tie should go to the runner. And that was always kind of the philo- uh, governing philosophy for center referees, for, for, for uh, officials, and, and for ARs uh, before uh, these directives came, which were related to the implementation of VARs. So uh, you see uh, ARs in the Premier League and so now I'm going to praise the Premier League. ARs in the Premier League don't miss offside calls very much. They're usually very good. I'd say 98% of the time they're correct. Nine, maybe 99. So um, I think in a lot of cases they're actually correct even now. And things are getting over. Uh, they're being directed not to put their, their, their flags up, let, let the play uh, continue to flow, or they're, they're calls are being overturned for some reason uh, the other thing i will point out is i don't like the directive about um allowing play to continue because players are going to get injured because of that because um if if a play if a play should stop and a player is offside um uh, it should stop so if the player is offside and the ar is instructed not to put their flag up the keeper may come crashing out and someone might get hurt Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to happen sooner or later. There's going to be a serious injury because they're allowing play to continue when also players aren't moving at full speed because they're accustomed to a whistle blowing or a flag going up in that situation. So I'm actually very concerned about that aspect of it. I think there's going to be a serious injury to either an attacking player or a goalkeeper sooner or later uh, because of this directive to just keep playing, even though we know a, a player is offside. All right, Kartik, so let's switch gears slightly before we move on to the next segment. And and that is basically, this is a question that came up on Twitter. And uh, actually, it was less of a question, more of a statement. But uh, one of our listeners, uh, I think JP Manning, I think it was, was saying that the Premier League season's over. It's done. It's done and dusted. The bottom two teams are, that's final. It's guaranteed. They're getting relegated. Uh, it's either Newcastle or Fulham that's going to be the third team. And, uh, I mean, top of the table, we, I mean, we already know who's won that pretty much. And, and you mean, like, you mean, Man United has it sealed. And maybe there's, there's one or two other teams that are challenging for the, for the Champions League. 
and the, the remainder, the vast majority of the Premier League have nothing to play for. Agree or disagree? Oh, I agree. I mean, there have been dead rubbers. I've said this for years with the Premier League, and not just the Premier League, every league in Europe. I Look, I criticize MLS also. I don't want people to now think I'm a big MLS fan uh, and that I'm a, a shill for some or something, which people will say after listening to this. Uh, I know that's coming. But you guys always say that none of the MLS ma- matches matter in the regular season because there is a postseason. I get that, but you still have to position yourself for the postseason, although oftentimes being at home in the postseason has been more of a curse. But still, technically, um, there are dead rubbers in MLS also, but not the whole season isn't a dead rubber. There are so many dead rubbers in, in, in England. I mean, for years, if you were West Brom, now they now they become a yo-yo club again. But for several years, West Brom and Stoke, their matches after December didn't matter. Uh, maybe it mattered for the other team, but it didn't really matter for them, which I think eventually caught uh, West Brom because they started switching off at 40 points several successive seasons. And then finally they got in the relegation mire and they didn't know how to get out of it and they went down a few seasons ago. But, um, uh, yeah, I think there are a large number of matches that don't matter. I do think this season is a little different with the top four race because um, you have – what? Uh, Leicester has been sucked back in. So you have Leicester, West Ham, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Spurs, believe it or not, are still in, in spite of the right. results. Because a Mourinho team can go on a run. I mean, maybe we're giving him too much credit, but they could still win out. I, I could see them getting 21 points in their last seven matches. I haven't looked at their fixtures, but it can happen. It's happened with Mourinho teams before. So um, I, I would say there's that. I totally disagree with you here. I think that this is ridiculous. Dead rubbers. I mean, yes, there are some games towards the end of the season. We still have seven games to go. West Brom are on a winning spree. They've won what, two, two games in a row. They're looking good. I mean, if you watch them play, I mean, it, all season long, for the most part, they've played pretty well. It's not a bad team. Uh, Fulham's dropping points like crazy. Newcastle, Burnley, uh, none of them are safe either. Uh, Brighton looks like they'll probably uh, escape that zone, but still nothing guaranteed there. Then you've got Leeds United, which one of our listeners last week on the podcast was saying, like, Leeds has nothing to play for. Well, last weekend, I don't know if anyone watched the Leeds United-Man City game. Fantastic game. I mean, you tell me that Leeds has nothing to play for. Well, no, me, no these are like high-level friendlies then. They're, players, yeah, they're well, not friendlies. Come on. No, let me finish, Chris, because I've worked in the sports, so I understand this a little better than a lot of people. Well, me too. Professionals always want to show uh, their best, okay? So the idea that then this is what MLS critics say, oh, the players don't care because there's nothing to play for. No, if you're a professional footballer, you go out there and you play any opportunity you get. And in, in Leeds' case, especially when they have the manager they have, you know, if you make a mistake – you're out. So I think that these are professional guys. They're always in a shop window. They're always competitors. If you're a professional footballer who's gotten to a certain level, particularly the Premier League level, you are a competitor. Okay, and it doesn't matter if you know you're you're racing your little sister. You're a competitor. You want to win that because that's the drive that's gotten you to that point. Right. So I think these guys play hard because they're professionals. But I, I don't think there's a whole lot on the line uh, in in most of these matches. I mean, in some there are. Obviously, when West Ham plays, there's a lot on the line, or, or Chelsea, or Liverpool, as we said. But for most of the teams, no. And and in terms of Europa League spots, I don't think anyone cares about going to the Europa League. Oh my God, uh, Kartik! Uh, Come on. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 uh, no way. 
way. Unless you're, it, it, Come on. It's, it's better not to make the Europa League because then you don't have all these extra fixtures. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, to me, like you take it, you take monitor. any fan, you take any fan of a Europa League club from the last few seasons, and you ask them what was that Europa League experience like. I mean, was it something that you were, you know, worth, was it worthwhile watching those games? Did you enjoy that? Did your team, uh, oh, did you I, like the, the Thursday, Sunday kind of rotation, two games a week? And to, to me, I mean, for any, to, uh, there's a lot of fans that would probably say, yeah, Europa League sucks. Are we talking about the fans or the players? The players. And what? the teams. Oh, well, no, the, play, the, the players care. No dead rubbers. There are no dead rubbers. Every match matters to a fan. I thought you were talking specifically about the clubs and the players. Uh, well, no, it's a, I, I will argue everyone. I'm dead uh, uh, red in the face with you on that. But I, if you're talking about the fans, yeah, you're right. You're well, absolutely right. Yeah, but even, even, the club, even the clubs and the players, the, these, these are, like you said, these are people who are professionals. They're going into it. Like every game matters. Is, that, is it the same in MLS then? I don't think so. I mean, well, the, okay. it, it, well it is in a way. It, it is in a way. It is in a way. No, 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 no. No, no, no. There is in a way. Okay, with Major League Soccer, definitely. The players are playing to win. The players are playing to be professionals. The issue is with, with the fans and the viewers. Is For the fans and the viewers, what is their incentive to watch after, after the first two or three weeks of the opening of the season where there is a lot of the kind of the, I mean, the enjoyment of watching these teams play, seeing how they perform, but then from, say, uh, week three all the way through till July, what's the incentive to continue watching those games when usually most of those teams will qualify, or at least half of those teams sometimes will qualify for the playoffs? To me, it's more about the system and, and, and on, on, on the viewership side. Is it MLS is back, the tournament last year, to me, was more compelling to watch that the process of actually playing through that season. To me, I find that a lot more enjoyable than having just, I mean, endless, I mean, what, 27 teams playing this endless list of games. Um, but we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's been a good, good discussion. And uh, listeners, if I'm sure you guys have uh, feedback on this one. Let us know what you think, because this is definitely a hot topic. All right, Kartik, let's move on, because we've got a lot to get to also. And uh, let's move on to TV streaming news. And uh, I'll have you started off with uh, some big news that broke last Thursday after the podcast went out. Yeah, some huge news, Chris. Uh, Fubo TV has acquired the uh, exclusive English language and Spanish language streaming rights to the Comedy Ball World Cup qualifiers in the build-up to the 2022 World Cup. Previously, the only way to watch these matches would have been via pay-per-view. I should start laughing. I'm sorry that I'm laughing to the listeners. I'm just thinking about how absurd the prices were in the last round of qualifying. So this is certainly good news for everybody. But um, yeah, uh, this is this is huge news. And also, I think, Chris, another interesting thing, and I'm interested in your feelings on this also, Fubo continues... Um, to set a standard, right? They started off as a football, soccer streaming company. They've become this huge now kind of media streaming uh, uh, thing with, with Fox's money involved in it and, and, and uh, entertainment options, etc. cetera, of, uh, and a great option for cord cutters. But they still are so important in the football football soccer space in terms of rights, in terms of uh, coverage, in terms of what they're offering uh, viewers of this sport. It, it's pretty amazing that they've evolved to what they've evolved, but they still have their roots uh, firmly anchored in this sport. Absolutely. It, it, it still is one of the most expensive streaming services, but it still has the most complete package of 
soccer choices. So it has all the Univision channels, it has the Fox Soccer Plus and all the Fox channels, NBC channels, ESPN channels. It has everything except except for like kind of the ESPN Plus or the Paramount Plus, which is the standalone streaming uh, services, which are completely separate. But but for me, I mean, it's, it's about sixty five dollars a month. But you do get a ton of coverage, and and this is a huge deal because this is um, really the first time that they've done a major deal where they're going direct. They're going direct to Conor Ball and saying, "Hey, we want the rights to the the to the actual World Cup qualifiers, and we will be the exclusive home, both in English language and Spanish language. So if you want to watch those games." pay-per-view is still available so if you wanted to do pay-per-view through direct tv or through your local bar or or a restaurant whatever it may be you can still go that route but as far as streaming goes the only way to get this game is through fubo so that that's going to attract a lot of people who may have had fubo in the past or may have not even tried fubo but this is the place to go to watch those games and and that's a big development development because um uh, up until this point, it would be, say, Telemundo acquiring the rights, which Fubo then streams those games, or it'd be Fox, or it'd be NBC, or be in sports, or whichever channel it would be, and then Fubo would broadcast it. But by going direct, they're actually now in competition with the Univisions and Telemundos and uh, be in sports and Fox, uh, and it makes it more of an attractive product as a, as a streaming service. The funny thing about this, I think, is that, I mean, so Fubo is a public company, so they're on the stock market. Uh, the announcement was made last Thursday. Uh, we uh, broke the news at the same time that I think that Fubo did and, and had, had all the details about this deal. And then on Friday, the stock jumped up, um, I mean, several percentage points, I believe. But it's interesting because a lot of the investors um, who are not soccer fans, who are not hardcore soccer fans, we're saying like just trying to really kind of uh, basically throw 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 mud or sticks at Fubo, saying this is a garbage deal. This is this is not uh, really worth that much money. Uh, Commable must have been trying to give it away. Nobody wanted it. Just a lot of negative things about it. Probably trying to drive down the price of the Fubo stock price. But one argument was made, Carter, and I want I want to get your take on this too. Is um, one argument was made by a well-known investor, and he said that he thinks that the the rights that Paramount Plus got for the CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers are more valuable um, as an investment than what, whatever Fubo paid for the CONMEBOL World Cup qualifiers. What do you think about that? Um. I mean, as a football fan, I would just laugh at it. But as, as someone who analyzes this, he's probably right. He or she is probably right because in Mexico, if you get away matches for Mexico, Mexico is the national team that that, that moves the the uh, moves the uh, needle in this country. You no, know, but, but 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 I think the Paramount Plus deal doesn't include Mexican uh, away games. It or, doesn't or, include their home matches. Oh, home matches. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they have all or their matches against one another. Okay, so that uh, let's. Uh, when we say it includes Mexico and U.S. away matches, it's not the Mexico match at the U.S. and U.S. match at Mexico aren't included. But all the Mexico matches, so they're what? This is the octagon, octagon, 
or whatever, uh, 18 right. things, all. so they'll have seven uh, matches, six, so you get six Mexico matches with it, and you get six U.S. matches, but then there are eight you don't get, uh, whereas for Fubo, you get every Brazil match, you get every Argentina match, you get every Uruguay match, uh, Colombia has a huge following in the United States, uh, yeah, maybe you're right, maybe, uh, I, I still think maybe the CONCACAF deal is a little more valuable because of those. Those are still six Mexico matches. But, um, yeah, you get 16 or 18, uh, uh, 18 Brazil, 18 Colombia, 18 Argentina, 18 Uruguay, so, uh, 18 of everybody, actually. So maybe, yeah, maybe the, 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 the Comdeval deal is more valuable. Uh, it's only because of Mexico we would say the CONCACAF deal is, import, is valuable. No one's terribly interested in uh, there, there's just a niche audience for honduras versus canada right right or el salvador versus uh panama but but um the well, mexico matches make it valuable and and i and i think though too that the perception among the the investors was that um who cares about say uh colombia against uruguay i mean now as soccer fans we go colombia against uruguay that'd be a fantastic game there'd be a lot of people interested in that neutrals would be would love it um, but then in, say, the CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers, you could have, I don't know, Turks and Caicos against um, Bermuda or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. So, I mean, the number of people that would be interested in that from a soccer viewing perspective would be I mean, much, much less. Yes, there'd be people that would be interested, but nothing compared to like Colombia against uh, Uruguay, just as one example. And that, that... I, I tell you what, though, living in South Florida, I think one of the things, if, if, if Jamaica ever got to got to a world cup again uh, with this kind of accessibility you now have to qualifiers that could that could help move the needle for CONCACAF in this country because there's so many at least in, in where i live so many jamaican americans who they're more interested in cricket i mean they, they passively follow football and they hope jamaica does well but uh the federation's been very corrupt and and they uh they they, they don't get into it the way maybe mexican americans do but i think that that's uh if caribbean american nations became stronger that package would be uh, worth more in the U.S., but yeah, yeah, but maybe uh, Brazil and Argentina don't don't move the needle that much either in qualifying. I guess, right? It's not like Mexico. Um, well, it's we it's, it's, well, it's hard to Cup say. America. It's it's hard to say because a lot of those games previously would have been on pay per view or uh, be in sports and be in sports in Espanol. We don't have apples apples to apples comparisons. That's exactly, great. exactly, and, and and this would be apples to apples. You got Paramount Plus. Again, well, actually, that's not even apples to apples. You get Paramount Plus against Fubo. America in 2016, when everybody was in the same tournament at the same time, Mexico, the ratings for Mexico games were off the charts yeah. compared to other teams, that, including Brazil and Argentina. Right, except when Mexico, although I don't think Mexico played Brazil or Argentina in that tournament now that I think about it, but they lost right. to Chile. Chile, right. Yeah. Right, 8-1 to one or 9-1, to one, something like that. But yeah, I do remember in that tournament, the Mexico ratings, we, we, we weren't doing this incarnation of the podcast yet at that time. Chris, but I remember you and I talking about it, being blown away mm-hmm. by uh, there. Eh, Argentina and Brazil moved the needle a little bit, uh, moved the needle for a little bit for Fox. But even in English, when they were showing Mexico games, the numbers spiked yeah. up. Yeah, it, it was pretty shocking. The the other thing about this deal, though, too, Kartik, is it makes you wonder. Okay, what's next for Fubo? Then, all right. So Fubo, um, I know, have hired a team of people that are involved, that are in their offices, that are focused exclusively on trying to acquire more rights directly. So this is something that that's been going on for a while in terms of building this team. So they're going after other rights, but if Fubo can get the Conmebol World Cup qualifiers, which is a big deal. I mean, what's to stop them from getting, putting in a serious bid for La Liga, I mean, MLS, Premier League, 
or any of these other leagues that come up. I mean, they have a lot of um, funding available to them. Actually, Fox is one of the uh, investors in Fubo, one of the original investors. That's a possibility. So I'm sure over at Major League Soccer headquarters in New York City that they're probably looking at this going, hey, I mean, maybe we should follow up on that discussion that we've had with Fubo and talk about maybe I mean, how interested are they in, in perhaps acquiring some of the streaming rights to Major League Soccer. And I think at the end of the day for Fubo, if they get some direct deals, that's going to bring, bring in more um, subscribers, but also it's going to retain the, the subscribers that they do have. I mean, the price point is pretty high. And um, if you already have watch a lot of soccer on Fubo, great. But uh, you want to retain those customers. You don't want them to, to, to lose them to, I don't know, Sling TV or whoever. Now, moving on to the next news item, Kartik, and this is uh, something that has not been confirmed, but it's a report from the Daily Mail. And uh, one of the writers is uh, saying that FIFA is planning on having the FIFA Club World Cup uh, in North America in the summer of 2025, really as a, as a dress rehearsal for the 2026 World Cup in North America. It's a dress rehearsal, but also it's going to be a cash cow because they are planning on having a competition that will feature, I think it's 24 teams, eight of those teams from the UEFA Champions League, three of them from CONCACAF Champions League, six from Copa Libertadores, three from the AFC Asian Champions League, three from the African Champions League, and then one from Oceania. So you're going to have, you might have your Real Madrid's, uh, PSG, you might have, I don't know, Gremio, Palmeiras, and you might have uh, Atlanta United, and uh, I, I mean, you can go on and on and on, Monterey, etc. This could be a very interesting tournament. Uh, I'm sure this thing would sell out, I mean, like crazy. I mean, and they, and they could charge whatever ticket prices that they want to. They know that. So I'm sure they're looking at this as a massive uh, revenue generator for FIFA. FIFA desperately needs uh, to inject more funds into the FIFA banks. And um, I don't know, Kartik, I, I would be interested in this. This would, would obviously be another tournament in a very busy schedule. Would you be excited? Yeah, I actually, uh, when I play football manager, this is kind of silly, but when I play football manager uh, deep into the future, I enjoy this tournament a lot. Wait, uh, wait, wait, D- deep into the future? You, you play in the future? Like like 2025 and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. This tournament exists in 2025, yeah. They have it already built into football manager. Yeah, I love it. Okay. I, I think it's going to be cool. I, I hope the TV viewers like it. Um, obviously, it'll be on Fox because they have the... Uh, they have the rights uh, to uh, FIFA competitions in that in uh, at that time, and I, it's going to be really cool. It'll be even cooler that's in the U.S. Always in in football manager, it's in Dubai or Doha or someplace. So, um, and I'm usually managing a European team that has to. Uh, I was managing Lil in the most recent iteration of me playing football manager, and I had to uh, go to uh, to Doha from 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 France from Lil. So uh, this will be a little different being in the U.S. Uh, because the other thing about this tournament though the thing i've learned for football managers it kind of short circuits your um your summer because um 
what you do is you you can't you can't schedule as many preseason matches based on it because of it. They, uh, at least in the game, they didn't they they don't start the European season later because of this tournament. So basically, it it serves kind of like a preseason. Also, so that's something to watch for European clubs. Uh, will some view it that way, or will some will, will they all take it really seriously? I, I'm sure some will take it very seriously, but will they all take it really seriously? Because that's when it will fall on the calendar. Hi, Kartik. It's been five months and eight days uh, since the last MLS regular season game. That was the final day of the season uh, of the regular season when the Philadelphia Union won the Supporters Shield. It seems like so long ago. Five months, over five months, and the league season is back this Friday starting and some big matches on on, uh, national television on Saturday and Sunday. Now, this week, uh, Sports Business uh, Journal uh, had a story about Major League Soccer TV rights, the next deal. Now, the current deal that they have with Fox and ESPN and Univision ends at the end of 2022. Well, MLS is getting ready to accelerate that and get things moving in terms of the, the bidding and the discussions. And Sports Business Daily uh, Journal are reporting that uh, MLS will start re- renegotiating its media rights deal in May and will go to ESPN, Fox and Univision and talk to them about uh, possibly renewing the deal. And they have until the, uh, the end of the summer to, to make a decision what they're going to do. And then after that, um, there's an opportunity for Major League Soccer to go ahead and speak to some other uh, broadcasters who might be interested. Those names could be CBS Sports. It could be Fubo. It could be DAZN. It could be, I don't know, HBO Max. I mean, there's so many possibilities of uh, different streaming providers um, and, and TV networks and maybe NBC. Who knows? That might be interested in Major League Soccer rights. Now, the story that was written was behind a paywall, but a couple of things that did come out of that story, and I'll read it word for word here. It says, MLS may find a tighter marketplace for TV rights than the last time it negotiated a deal in 2014, especially since the NFL took $11 billion annually out of the marketplace with its new deals. MLS MLS will compete for, for rights fees with the Premier League, which sees its NBC deal end next year, Adding to MLS's complications is the fact that one of the most valuable parts of its package, men's World Cup qualifying games, essentially will be gutted since the U.S. team doesn't have to qualify for the 2026 event, which will be held in the U.S., Canada and Mexico. Now, lastly, Don Garber also says the MLS fan base should help convince media companies to cut deals. We have a young fan base. They're digitally native. They're looking to access their programming and to find ways to interact with it, whether that's data, sports betting, as people go uh, more over the top and start looking for ways uh, to absorb sports uh, events beyond the traditional means. We couldn't be in a better time. An end quote there from Don Garber. So quite a few things said there, Kartik. Um, What's your take on on, uh, what uh, Sports Business Journal said and also uh, what Don Garber said about the uh, encouraging the soccer fans, the MLS fans to go ahead and uh, convince their media companies to cut deals? (laughs) Um, On the Garber comments, I think that sounds a little desperate. I'm surprised. Maybe maybe it just came out the wrong way. Uh, He's usually uh, savvier than that. Sounds so desperate. In terms of the... um, the actual field, 
MLS, I think, is going to have to pay, play the field to get the rights fee they want. Because if uh, if it comes back down to ESPN and Fox uh, and Univision and no one else is really interested in the rights, then uh, I don't think they're going to get the kind of value out of it they want. So I, the, the hope is that Paramount Plus and uh, – Maybe Bleacher Report, maybe even a Fubo or or, or, or Fanatis or somebody like that wants. Although they, they, Fanatis doesn't have the sort of money to, to be part of this, but you never know, right? So they, they, what they have to hope is one of those or Amazon Prime sees this as the opportunity to break in uh, to the live soccer market in the U.S. Obviously, they, they they're, they're broadcasting. Uh, football matches in in in, uh, in England. We know that they have uh, the the Premier League uh, midweek matches. They've been, and uh, the matches around Christmas. Some some of those midweeks, and and they've uh, they're showing cricket in India, right? And they're showing NFL football in the U.S. So what Amazon has done is that they've they've from their prime product, they have latched onto the most popular sports in each country. Now, will they uh, latch onto the most plentiful full sport in terms of? rights in the u.s which would be this sport uh otherwise i don't think the rights fee is going to go up substantially chris I, i'd be concerned actually if i'm mls and i think they probably are concerned we don't know what the field's going to look like and maybe they negotiate a shorter term deal this time that just gets them through 2026 and then reassess at that point when when uh when you're on, or maybe through 2027, then you can renegotiate in the summer of 2026 or start negotiations when soccer is at a high point after the U.S. hosts a World Cup. Um, that would be my strategy. So maybe a five-year deal this time. So, so the part of this that makes it interesting, I, I think, is that it seems that MLS is trying to get the timing right. So the rights that they currently have with, I mean, Univision, Fox, and, and uh, ESPN. They don't end until December of 2022. That's a long ways off. But by going ahead and starting the uh, renegotiating process early in in May and then giving um, those three broadcasters, basically May, June, July, uh, to come back with their proposals and and their recommendations of what they want um, and then possibly be ready to then in August – uh, either announce a deal or then go to market, go to go to have discussions with um, Amazon and, and uh, Fubo and Fanatis and, and uh, HBO Max and all these other providers, Paramount Plus, of course, and and then maybe at that point try to get the timing right as far as trying to uh, get a deal because it might be one of those things. I mean, the Premier League, so the Premier League season, the final season of the current NBC deal. Uh, is next season, and that will end uh, in May 2022. So, around about the time that uh, MLS has just started um, the last season of their contract, um, the Premier League will, will be wrapping up their season. So, the Premier League, in many ways, it's it's very likely that they will announce their deal uh, for the next three years, whether it's NBC or whoever it may be. Probably about the August timeline, uh, probably in, in the, the summer um, kind of uh, time. And that could be a good opportunity then. So if Paramount Plus misses out on trying to acquire those rights or um, ESPN Plus misses out on trying to acquire those rights to the Premier League, maybe Paramount Plus says, OK, well, we missed out on the Premier League, but let's go in big and try to get the MLS deal. We need to go ahead and get the timing right. Let's get the deal done now. We need to secure those rights in order to make Paramount Plus an even bigger player than than they are now. 
So that that's my take on this whole thing is I think MLS is looking strategically and, and it makes sense to go ahead and, and get things started sooner rather than later, rather than waiting until, say, early next year to uh, start up discussions then. And in, and in Don Garber's quote, he says, we couldn't be in a better time. Now, he's talking about a lot of these OTT streaming services uh, that are paying big amounts of money uh, for acquisition rights to whether it's Serie A, uh, the Bundesliga, etc. So that gets Don Garber excited. And he's thinking, OK, Major League Soccer could be a major player there, could be a perfect uh, product, uh, a league that could be showcased on Paramount Plus or Fubo or uh, oh, it's already on ESPN Plus, but on, on one of these streaming services. So the timing is right. And they're probably hoping that this uh, soccer streaming wars of 2021, which is really a streaming wars of 2021, uh, will heighten, heighten and get, get bigger and have these streaming services putting down more money to acquire the rights because it is a race to, to acquire the rights that are available. We know that sports rights uh, have a lot of value to them because most consumers will stop what they're doing. They'll change their weekend plans. They'll change their life around watching these games. So it's more vital than ever the MLS gets this right. Maybe they will, Kartik. Maybe they'll, they'll get a bigger deal out of this just because of the timing, not so much because of the value. One more thing I want to add, too, is, is in that story that Sports Business Journal did say that they were talking about uh, one of the most valuable parts of the package being the men's World Cup qualifying games. I would argue that the, one of the most valuable parts of that deal is the women's World Cup qualifying games, not so much the men's, uh, unless this team can really get better on the big stage. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. First off, yeah, the women's uh, we we see and we're even we haven't gone through the TV ratings for this week, but we saw a rating a, a number for a U.S. friendly, women's friendly that you will never see for a men's friendly in this era, uh, this weekend, this past weekend on Fox. But uh, also, the, the U.S. has qualified. I don't think the U.S. has will, will have to have qualifiers for 2026. That, that stood out to me about the story. Also, I when I saw that, I did a double take because I I think the U.S. would. We, we don't know the format yet because there's three hosts and FIFA's never done this, but the assumption is the U.S. will qualify automatically. Um, right, right, and yeah. does the U.S. end up doing what Qatar is doing now, which is playing in all these extraneous things? Like, isn't Qatar even playing in... Uh, yeah, so they, 20, they were going to play in uh, Copa America, but then uh, yeah. they bowed out just because of, I mean, COVID. Pandemic, which, yeah. which actually, I mean, like just just to point that out, Kartik, actually, and that's my mistake, is, is the story does mention that uh, one of the most valuable parts of the package uh, will, will not be included, which is the, the men's World Cup qualifying oh, okay, games. Okay, okay, because yeah, because that that, uh, there won't be any need for those games because the US will already automatically qualify. But, 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 but my, my point is more so is that the women's, the rights to women's games are even if the men had the World Cup qualifying games for the 2026 World Cup, I think the, the games featuring the women would be more valuable because the viewership for those games is usually much better. Um, yes and no. Okay, so this I don't want to get too deep in this rabbit hole uh, because this goes back to the whole lawsuit and Uh-oh. the way U.S. soccer played with the numbers. <laughs> but uh, the, the place where the men do generate more revenue than the women is in World Cup qualifying. But if you take World Cup qualifying out of it and you just look at friendlies that they play, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. women have much higher viewership and much higher ticket revenue. So, yeah. um, you know, sometimes the, uh, the, the, the the men's qualifying thing has been used as a justification by U.S. soccer 
to screw the women. So I don't want to get too deep into it. But yeah, that that's uh, that reminds me that 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 was the clever bookkeeping that the U.S. U, the USSF did to make the men look like they were generating more revenue was included all the qualifiers. So yeah, so so, I, so I'm I'm optimistic that MLS can get a better deal than what they got last time, uh, even if TV ratings are plateaued. Just from the sheer, I mean, the major factor of being the timing is right. The timing is actually really good, and especially if uh, MLS can go ahead and get a deal done by the end of the year and say, "Hey, streaming company, you know, Paramount Plus, as one example, uh, you'll go ahead and start up uh, in 2023. We're going to help you get everything ready. This is going to be a really great uh, opportunity to lead in to the 2026 World Cup and have all these MLS games." on television and streaming and we're going to be talking up uh, the US national team and talking about up, up uh, MLS this is going to be a really great package and and I think in many ways um, if you didn't have that 2026 world cup as the sweetener this would be a completely different conversation and if you didn't have the US men's oh, games featuring the US men's uh, team and the US women's team um this would be a completely different uh, conversation also. But uh, so MLS, I think, business-wise and strategically are actually uh, doing some good stuff here to get everything, to get the most amount of money that they can at, uh, at this time. One last thing, Kartik, and I don't want to spend a lot of time in, on this one, but um, big news that came out this week is that uh, Univision and Televisa, and Televisa is a massive uh, TV network, in Mexico, uh, Univision, of course, uh, based in the U.S., uh, one of the most popular Spanish language uh, networks, and they've agreed a merger deal to create a Spanish Spanish language content powerhouse. To me, as far as soccer goes, I mean, to me, Kartik, this this screams out um, basically um, probably layoffs or pretty uh, tr- trying to take uh, all the resources at both different companies merge them together and then consolidate and have layoffs and, and make it a tight ship. Um, that's, and, and it could have an impact on, on the soccer coverage, which, yeah, which yeah, I'm sure it will. Happened. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, I think you and I both know that that's already started with, uh, during the pandemic, uh, because 2DNA, by the way, 2DNA, I remember it used to be Univision, uh, Deportes. Now yeah. it's, uh, the T is for Televisa. So, um, they, they got rid of what they considered redundancies. I don't know why we consider them redundancies. I think they 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 uh, uh, they down, downscaled, in my opinion, uh, and moved some some of the their operations uh, that they had at Univision and, and, and just consolidated at Televisa in Mexico City. So that this will be more of that. Uh, the um, the danger, and I, I again, I think we've discussed this on a previous show, Chris, and I, I've ended up discussing it with a number of people the last few weeks. The the danger of the media companies, particularly Televisa, and their uh, control over Mexican football, uh, is uh, more and more people, at least in my circles, are talking about this now. And uh, as Televisa gets bigger and their footprint in the United States, where there are all these Liga Emekis fans are, and Mexican Americans grows there's some concern about it so uh for those who don't know televisa uh, and i think we talked we did talk about this on a previous show right that it used to be that way in england too with sky owning portions of teams uh, but the premier league is much cleaner now than it used to be that way uh but that televisa has a significant interest in a number of teams in mexico and they're not the only media company that does so mm-hmm. uh but this is a this is a fairly big deal in terms of um i think Liga and Mekis going forward, but we have to keep an eye on, 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 on how it plays out. 
TV ratings, and there were some really interesting numbers that came out uh, from this past week. So um, you mentioned it before, Kartik, but the U.S. women's national team playing a friendly against Sweden. Uh, this game was on Big Fox. 713,000 viewers, which is amazing for, for a game that, that was at the same time or actually overlapped with El, El Clasico. I mean, this game didn't start until after, I think, 1.10 um, p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. Uh, El Clasico started at 3 o'clock. So there's a little bit of overlap there, too. But uh, there's also the uh, Crystal Palace against Chelsea game that was on NBC at the same time. It's it's a very impressive number, Kartik. I I think this is something that, uh, I mean, to me, is probably the most... um, refreshingly I mean great number this is really really surprising yeah, yeah. in a great way Dortmund Stuttgart although maybe I was the only one watching that match but Dortmund Stuttgart was on at the same time also but yeah great number uh entertaining match actually uh Sweden played well and unfortunately every time the U.S. plays Sweden there's so much history and this this is a, 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 a ironic thing again the women's game doesn't have uh the number of strong countries that the men's uh, game does but the U.S. and Sweden end up playing in every tournament it seems like mm-hmm. right yeah. and in, in in some tournaments I, I want to even say there were turn there's a tournament where we played Sweden twice I think we played on the group stage and the yeah. knockout stage uh maybe that was even recently I think it was yeah uh, the so, recent recent women's world cup yeah, yeah, we play them in every. We play them all the time. We played. We were in the group with them in fifteen. We were in the gr- group with them. Or no, we lost to them in the knockout stages of the Olympics in sixteen. Yeah, so this is a bit of a rivalry. Um, so maybe that generated it too, because I think even though France, England, um, Germany has kind of fallen off, but France and England are uh, are, are are now uh, maybe bigger deals in women's football. It's something about U.S. Sweden. These games are always close. They're always kind of close run things. This match was no exception. It's a very very competitive match. Um, yeah, so maybe that 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 that, that helps stimulate it. Uh, in addition to the fact that the U.S. women are just very popular right now. So uh, some of the other numbers too. So Fiorentina against At- Atalanta, the first game ever in uh, Serie A history to be on um, network television on ABC. Uh, Two hundred twenty-five thousand viewers on this one on Sunday. It was a really good game. I think in some ways this one got lost in the shuffle. Um, there's just so much, so many games on, and uh, there wasn't a lot of promotion for this one. But um, I mean, it's it's not your Juventus against uh, uh, Inter Milan, but it was a really good game to watch, and and I thought yeah. the actual broadcast was it was a great job. So- so, Chris, since that number came out, and, and I thought the, the highlight of the week for me on television was how well ESPN or ABC, ESPN on ABC, covered that match with Gab Marcotti at halftime and post-match, and yep. um, Matteo and, and Mark Donaldson did a great job. Dan Thomas has always an excellent job hosting. Um, but you, when you compare head-to-head with the Bundesliga match they put on ABC, and again, that had Bayern, so maybe that, that, that explains yeah. the difference. The numbers aren't even close, which... Uh, Right, less than half. Me. I mean, I wanted to see Serie A do better and just kind of uh, incentivize CBS to put Serie A matches on uh, on uh, on big CBS. Maybe it was the wrong matchup. Maybe if you had Juventus, you'd get a similar number. But the Bundesliga number, remember, was close to 600,000. So, mm-hmm. yep. granted, that was on a Saturday. Um, this was on a Sunday. But uh, there, 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 there seems to be a gap opening up between those two leagues, at least based on uh, that number, which uh, is, is disappointing for me personally, because I, I want to see Serie A do well. Okay, Kartik and listeners, I'm going to ask you a, a question. That question is, is how many viewers do you think the El Clasico got? 
featuring two of the biggest teams in the world, Real Madrid against Barcelona, uh, in a match that meant so much for both teams. It always does, but uh, even more so uh, for those two teams, like chasing, trying to uh, chase uh, Atleti for the title. How many viewers do you think watched this game, two of the biggest teams in the world, on the Spanish language channel? What, what's your estimate? What's your guess? Uh, I don't know, because being this... Just, I mean, just the Spanish say- channel, though. Yeah, I would say 400,000 because it's VN in Espanol, which a lot of people don't know they get. Or mm-hmm. uh, So I would say 400,000. That's a good guess, really good guess, because the, the number is 343,000. So historically speaking, we've looked at these numbers um, I mean, season, week after week, season after season. Usually the English language channel gets about a third of what the Spanish language channel gets. So... Probably on the English English language side, which we don't have those numbers, but it was pr- probably just over a hundred thousand people watched that game, which is pitiful. For, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah. So a hundred thousand plus three hundred forty-three thousand, probably about four hundred forty-three thousand people watched this game, which is a decent number, uh, given the, the lack of distribution that BN Sports has. But again, this is pro- possibly the biggest game in world football. So if you're at La Liga. Uh, or you're the president of, of uh, Real Madrid, or you're in charge of Barcelona's efforts to continue to market that team in the United States. You're calling up uh, Javier Tebas at La Liga, the president, saying, "What the hell's going on here? This is one of the biggest countries in the world that has one of the, you mean, a massive population of over 300 million people, and we can only get roughly less than half a million people to watch this game, the biggest game of the season." So this has to change, Kartik. It, it's, yeah. it, it can't go on like this. The well, numbers keep on getting worse season after season. Yeah, and the same weekend that 800,000 people watch Crystal Palace in the same country. I mean, think about that. You just want to put it in perspective. More people watch Crystal Palace in the U.S. this past weekend than watched uh, Real Madrid. Uh, or Barcelona. I mean, that, that's that's madness. Yeah, I, um, you know, I've been privately hammered by a lot of people for my kind of Johnny One Note on this. For however, ever since we changed to this format of the podcast, I've been saying La Liga has to get off of BN. I'm just going to rest my case here because I think everybody now has come around to the same point of view that the league, it's unsustainable, especially with Serie A going to Paramount Plus. CBS will make a commitment to that league. We know what uh, ESPN has done for the Bundesliga. We know what the Premier League's stature is in this country. Uh, I, I kind of just rest my case. The, the, these numbers that you're, you're giving, that's it. I think it's over. Listener mailbag. First up is Disco George. Uh, he says, oh, she says, oh, wait, it's probably he. It's a George. Disco George says, lots of really interesting subjects on last week's pod. I'm surprised you all didn't mention Micah Richards's uh, terrible gymnastics display from the CBS Champions League post-match show, Laugh Out Loud. With regards to NBC's Premier League coverage, the contrast between the NBCSN Peacock coverage and the Two Robbies podcast can be pretty stark. The Robbies, uh, the two Robbies have mentioned multiple times on the podcast that they really ent- identify with the non-Big Six teams because of their own experiences as players, and they seem to really enjoy uh, to enjoy the underappreciated Player of the Week awards they give out as well. 
it would be really interesting to hear what uh, they really think about the editorial direction NBC is taking. Speaking of podcasts, I think the multimedia aspect of soccer coverage is something that doesn't get talked about enough. I know that not everyone listens to podcasts, watches extra content on YouTube, or reads written content, but that was one aspect of ESPN's Serie A coverage that I really enjoyed. The Serie A Awesome podcast and the mobile app interface that puts written content, scores, and links to live ESPN Plus matches in one spot was a really nice compliment to the match coverage. I'm sure the written content will continue with Gab Marcotti, etc., but I'm guessing the podcast will go away once their rights end. That is, uh, I think, uh, listener uh, feedback of the week there, Kartik. Some really good points yeah. um, about the Serie A. I th- yeah, it will be interesting to see what they decide to do if they start to pull back a little bit and not focus as much energy. Um, and also what happens to the talent that they have that they're, they're being used to, to promote the Serie A. Will they stick with the ESPN or will they go elsewhere? Yeah, so I, I think that the Serie Awesome podcast, that's a really interesting uh, question because I, I do think that that's a, another thing that to me, um, you, you, it, 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 it's had a really good run and it's gotten better um, as, uh, as we've gone on and Nikki Bandini has joined uh, it. Kay Murray is on more now or not the last several weeks. She just, she just gave birth to, to, uh, to, an, to a child. But um, it's gotten better and better. I would hate for that podcast to be short-circuited because they've lost the rights. Uh, at the same time, I don't know what ESPN's incentive to uh, to um, to keep it going would be. I mean, I guess maybe to showcase some of their talent. They uh, they do have um, uh, they do have uh, um, the Gavin Jules podcast, which focuses heavily on uh, on on. Uh, Chelsea, it seems more than anything. Right. Uh, obviously, uh, Marcotti and, and, and Jules, uh, I mean, uh, Jules Lorenz and Gab Marcotti. Gab has an expertise in, in Serie A and European football in general. And Jules has an expertise in French football and, and PSG in particular. But they both live in London and they both cover. And J- Gab is a Chelsea fan. We know this. And Jules covers Chelsea a lot, uh, covers Chelsea very closely. So it's ended up becoming a very Chelsea as podcast, I love the podcast. I, I listen every week or watch every week, depending on whether I can watch or listen. Um, they do not have the rights for the Premier League, but they've kept this podcast going. But maybe it's to showcase those two uh, 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 very, very uh, high stature figures mm-hmm. in ESPN's uh, uh, soccer lineup. And then you also have now the new show, Seb Salazar and Herc Gomez, uh, uh, Football America, uh, America. Americas, yeah, uh, football Americas. Now, of course, they do show MLS, um, and they do have uh, USL on ESPN Plus. They don't have NWSL rights. Seb, in particular, likes to talk women's uh, football, and they don't have Liga Mekis rights. But so maybe Serie Awesome continues uh, the uh, the Serie Awesome podcast, but I, I'm concerned it, it may not. Next up is Carl. Carl says, "I like the CBS uh, Studios analysis." particularly from Alex Scott and Peter Schmeichel, when they're actually talking about the games, but I find my patience wearing thin for the incessant laughter, jokes, and ribbing each other. I'm a fan of the the relaxed environment, but it seems like this has gone so over the top that discussing the games has taken a back seat to the bits. 
I also couldn't agree more with the criticism of NBC's Premier League coverage, and I'm pretty shocked that they still haven't had more integration with Sky uh, Sky Sports' Premier League content. It's very hard to think of lower-hanging lower hanging fruit for the Comcast Sky deal than this, and it's just puzzling they haven't figured it out beyond a couple of transfer deadline shows. RJ Hawkins says, with Fox's MLS deal expiring after the uh, the 2022 season, am I correct in saying that it's possible that Fox could broadcast the 2026 World Cup without the rights to MLS or even the 2026 um, uh, games featuring the U.S. men's t- national team, um, any I mean, friendlies, etc.? Absent those rights, do you think they would present a more balanced coverage? <laughs> balanced coverage, no. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they'll ever have any balanced coverage. It is possible that Fox could miss out on the, the next TV deal for MLS rights, as well as U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team. Um, I just think it would be crazy if, if they did miss out on that, because everything that they're doing is building up for the 2026 World Cup. That's going to be the biggest one for Fox. And after that's done, they can cash out. They can say, hey, we're done with soccer. Thanks very much, MLS. It's been a great ride. Um, Thanks, all you Euro snobs that picked on us for years and years. We're cashing out big time. We've made our money back from all these World Cups that we've done. And uh, we're going back to NASCAR. We're going back to, I don't know, NFL, whatever it is, and focus on, on really kind of our forte. So it's possible. I just think it would be crazy for Fox uh, to pull the plug on MLS and pull the plug on the uh, the rights to U.S. women and U.S. men's teams with so much on the line with, with World Cups coming up. Paul Kelly says, referring to the comment from Jazinho last week, I would lo- I would also like to uh, I would also love to see a combined CONMEBOL CONCACAF league. However, travel costs and low attendance could be an issue. Don't see a sellout when Guatemala faces um, Argentina. European travel is much easier and closer. However, if they want to make this work, then I could see how an elimination round or two or three, uh, the way that CONCACAF is doing it right now, would work. Um, Naburo says, um, I would prefer the Copa America to have the 10 CONMEBOL teams plus the top six CONCACAF teams. Meanwhile, the CONCACAF Gold Cup should be held every four years. I hate the European Super League idea, especially having franchise teams like the Euro League in basketball. I would like the uh, Champions League quarterfinalists to qualify to the next edition, plus the champions from the 24 uh, top leagues. And I agree with Kartik that a luxury tax would help to increase parity without preventing oligarchs to bankroll their teams. Another issue is TV rights that often have unequal distribution. Kartik, uh, a lot of people agreeing with you there. That's uh, good, good to see. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then Chris Guardino, uh, last comment uh, from our listener f- uh, mailbag this week. Hi, guys. Another great pod this week. When it comes to Paramount Plus and CBS going forward, I think they should go after the MLS U.S. national team rights. They already have uh, a part of the rights for the U.S. national teams in the form of the away qualifiers for the World Cup for the U.S., as well as the CONCACAF Nations League. 
This would especially benefit the U.S. women's national team because it would provide them with greater exposure and help to continue the growth of the NWSL because CBS could do a lot of cross-promotion during U.S. women's national team matches to encourage people to watch the NWSL. The U.S. women's national team, in my view, needs a strong NWSL in order to sustain its long-term success after the current stars retire, and CBS is the perfect partner to help with this. The same could be said for the U.S. men's national team and MLS if they go to CBS, although to a lesser extent because the top stars for the uh, U.S. men, Pulisic, Adams, etc., all play for European clubs, so CBS would have to have have to balance in how they do promotion during U.S. men's national team matches because they don't want to be promoting the Champions League too much while giving MLS no promotion at all. However, having said this, CBS would be a major upgrade for MLS from Fox, in my view, in terms of professional presentation and having executives within CBS Sports that actually care about the league, unlike Fox in my view, who simply view MLS as a way of getting the U.S. national teams on their channels. Lastly, I have a question about the use of non-soccer commentators. There are big names in other sports by some networks in the past to call matches as a way of drawing in casual fans. My question to either of you is, do you see CBS going this route with this year's Champions League final being on over-the-air CBS by using Jim Nance instead of Peter Drury or Clive Tilsley? Kartik, a serious question demands a serious answer. And what is your answer to that question? Uh, no, because I think uh, it, it, we'll have to see what weekend, uh, what golf tournament is the weekend that, uh, that the Champions League final is. But first off, if CBS has a golf tournament, Jim Nance will be there. And secondly, uh, he, if they have a golf tournament, it won't be on CBS over the year. So that's I, I, I actually should, I haven't done my due diligence on that. I should have checked the calendar by now on that. My, uh, so I don't think they'll go that route. I think that they're they're my, very committed. Yeah. Being, well, well my, 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 my answer to that is just two, is, is two words. Hell no. Whether he's available or not available, that would be jumping shark. I, I would be done. I'm out of here. <laughs> Hell no to Jim Nance doing the commentary for a Champions League final, even if it's on CBS over the air, which it will be. Hell no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there, are, there are some American commentators I think would do a could do a job with uh, uh, with it, but Jim Nance is not is not one that's ever readily come to mind. Gus Johnson, who could call. Who, uh, well, no, but Gus Johnson is not a, like a top level. That was the other thing about Fox using Gus Johnson on soccer that was interesting because it wasn't like he's a top tier American uh, sports commentator. He's not a guy that people freely think of as would regularly think of as a top tier guy. Jim Nance is, but I just don't think he's uh, uh, I don't think that this is the kind of sport uh, that that he's cut out for um, on the other uh, issues. So. Uh, let's keep in mind right now that the, 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 most of the U.S. men's national team players are on Champions League clubs. So um, I mentioned Lille earlier in the pod. They're, they're winning the French League right now. Timmy Weah plays for them. You mentioned Pulisic. You mentioned Adams. Uh, uh, Weston McKinney will be on CBS both in Champions League. Well, if Juventus finishes in the top four, but both on Champions League and, and uh Serie A, yeah. uh, uh, and among others, there, there are other names. Uh, John Brooks is going to be in the Champions League next year. Wolfsburg is right there uh, in the top top four right now. So, uh, I I don't know if the U.S. men's national team coverage is as linked to showing MLS, except for these kind of B-rate friendlies, which they actually won't have on their network. 
unless they get the MLS rights. Um, in terms of what they show in, in CONCACAF qualifiers and Nations League, most of those guys are actually playing in the Champions League. Uh, that having been said, I do agree that the synergies uh, between the women's and men's games, the women's game being promoted so well, and the NWSL being really critical to sustaining interest in the U.S. women's national team long term, uh, that sort of um, that sort of synergy might help MLS uh, if it's on CBS. But I also think we've point we've gotten past a point where there is a direct correlation between MLS fans and U.S. men's national team fans. In fact, I think so. There is a there is a direct correlation between NWSL fans and U.S. Women's National Team fans. Uh, Chris, you and I have talked about this privately. I've talked about this privately with probably ten, uh, five dozen people. There is a clear divergence now that's really opened up in the last few years. You know, maybe uh, really touched by uh, uh, U.S. missing the World Cup in 2017, but it was starting before that. A divergence between MLS fans and U.S. Men's National Team fans. So I, I think the synergies would be good from a coverage standpoint. I don't know if it creates the the fan reaction that it will uh, CBS having both U.S. Women's National Team matches and NWSL matches. I, I just don't think MLS and the U.S. Men's National Team are that correlated anymore in terms of their fan bases. Now we know in a business sense they're 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 joint at the hip through Soccer United marketing, and we know uh, uh, U.S. Soccer and uh, MLS are very close, but uh, closer than most leagues are with their governing uh, federation in the world. But uh, I I don't know that it, it's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, good point there too. Because I, I think in many ways the the audience is fractured. I mean, it's not like it was maybe say ten years ago, where if you were a fan of a MLS team in this country, I mean, you're you're definitely a U.S. men's national team fan too, and you support the country with as much pride as you do, do your local MLS team. Uh, these days, I'm not sure. I mean, I think a lot of people have checked out uh, from supporting the U.S. men's national team, and a lot of them got frustrated. By I mean, depending on which team they support in MLS, um, they may have tuned out of MLS and, and tuned into US the men's national team or or vice versa. It's it's not a uh, a like for like. You mean if you get a MLS fan, he's automatically a uh, US men's national team fan in in the same level of uh, passion and excitement and support. It's, there's not a, a direct correlation there. I, I don't think. No, there isn't. I mean, and the, there there was at one time, and I think the divergence, Chris, may have started about ten years ago. It wasn't noticeable until a few years ago. Uh, but as I've taught, as I said, I'm, I work in the industry. I've talked to dozens of people about this issue. That there is a clear kind of divergence. You can't you can't see of television ratings. Um, or, or, or social media interactions for an MLS match and then automatically assume it's going to be the same people and the same viewers for a U.S. men's national team match. Whereas for NWSL, you, could, you can pretty much guess the 500,000 some people who were watching NWSL on CBS uh, last year uh, in, in, the, in the fall are uh, part, a subset of the 700, almost 800,000 people watching the U- U.S.-Sweden match on, on Fox. That the, 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 it's much more correlated on the women's side than the men's side now. Yeah, and we've seen some games, I think, last year or maybe the year before where it was um, U.S. men's national team friendly that was on Fox or FS1 that would be getting a, a viewership of less than 200,000 people, which is, uh, I mean, you got some MLS games that have more viewers watching an MLS game than watching a U.S. men's national team game. So, um, yeah, yeah that, 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 that's a whole other topic for a whole other podcast. All right, Kartik, so uh, any listeners, if, if you do have any feedback, 
questions, observations, uh, want to learn more about streaming soccer or watching soccer on television, let us know. In many ways, we're kind of a uh, customer uh, hotline or customer service, customer support uh, for a lot of soccer fans answering questions about watching games from around the world. And uh, we want you to have your say. So you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, uh, heading into another weekend, we've got the start of Major League Soccer starting Friday. We've got uh, some big matches in the FA Cup. We've got the FA Cup semifinals. You've got a title race in Spain that's still alive you've got uh, a French title race too that's still still to be decided there um, some relegation scraps I, I, I think West Brom can do it or at least, at least make it uh, maybe get down to the last week or two uh, lots going on from around the world so what should the listeners do Kartik and, and what are you going to do enjoy your football 